This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. And over there at our home studio, and I do have that right today, Ramya Muthan. Hello. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm at Look, home. Looking at dates here. Let's, let's uh, see what we've got. Today being this Tuesday, lots going on with our neighbors to the south as the primaries and so on are taking place. And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of talk, a lot of uh, what will be and where the Republicans, Democrats, all the stance there. So a lot of people looking today over there. So for those interested in, in really keeping an eye, sounds great. But Rumi, it dawned on me also... Something we haven't really talked a lot about in a few days, and mm-hmm. again, there's only so much to say about it, but a little over a week ago, we announced about our show moving to television and being simulcast here on AMI-audio come January 9th, and I settled back and think, oh my goodness, in about a month, uh, we'll be off the air as we start getting things ready yes. for TV and doing a lot of rehearsals and preparation and, and stuff like that. So, wow, uh, we're getting into that final month of Kelly and Company. Pretty much. It really feels like it. And we hope that we're emphasizing enough that it doesn't mean that 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, Monday to Fridays, will be just completely lost for Kelly and Company. We will have um, many re-airings on AMI-audio of Kelly and Company uh, episodes, segments, conversations with contributors, guests, like all kinds of wonderful things that we've handpicked for you. But yeah, for us, it's like, it's a, it's going to be a totally different thing. A lot of preparation, as you said, uh, learning, testing for us, our contributors, everybody. And then coming January, we have a week more of that testing and then we're off. Yeah, We're on. Yeah. We had a chance while doing promos last week to see the the studio that will be used when somebody has to be in the space, such as our backup co-host, maybe a contributor who wants to come in, or if I'm in Toronto doing doing business, or Ramya has to be at main campus and I here at home, that space, boy, uh, excited. And sometimes people will see promos kind of describing it to you on AMI-tv yet to come. Um, so those are kind of the promos we were involved in, getting some of those descriptions and kind of announcing Kelly and Ramya coming to TV January 9th. And if you haven't heard, maybe you weren't here last week and some of you are, whoa, whoa, what? Uh, yeah, that's what's happening. Simulcast on AMI-tv starting January 9th. Um, so do please make note and Uh, Hopefully that'll be something that you'll make again, just like you do this show, part of your day. Let's see what's coming up here on this edition of Kelly and Company. Nutritionist Julia Carantius shares some wonderful ideas. These are culinary ideas for pumpkins and proper ways to compost the, the, the remains of them post, of course, Halloween. Yeah, it's going to be more and more interesting ideas from her end. Also, what goes around comes around, they say, because roller skating's retro appeal is back. It's been back for a couple of years. We're going to talk more about this uh, in an article we found on the Canadian Post. And in hour two, Bella Strange gives us skincare tips for the colder months. Really important. Sort of like what we talked about, about you still can get a sunburn in the wintertime as well. But we're going to cover off 
taking care of dry skin and uh, uh, chapped lips as part of that conversation here on Kelly and Company during hour two of the program. So always fascinated in these interesting things out there when we hear about fossils and stuff that's found. A dinosaur fossil is expected to fetch more than $15 million at auction. The massive skull of a Tyrannosaurus rex was found on private land in South Dakota, says Sotheby's, which will auction it on December 9th. This is a 200-pound skull fossil nicknamed Maximus. Sotheby's experts say Maximus is about 76 million years old, still has lots of teeth, but also has two big holes in the skull. Evidence of a fierce fight, they say, probably with another T-Rex. A spokeswoman says they don't know if that's what killed the animal. The fossil owner wants to remain anonymous. I'm Rita Foley. So... I find that interesting, remain anonymous, but then again, if you have something so rare, you don't want, well, I don't know how exactly someone's going to you know, get in there and steal it, but um, fascinating stuff and so much for them to think about uh, when it comes to the death, the holes in the head. But I always find it interesting when you hear, oh, teeth, and then reminded yeah. about how long teeth can, can remain. It's amazing because even though this is real life, <laughs> it leaves so much room for the imagination, right? The more description you get, the more you uh, find out what they're finding out about, the more you kind of still continue to create stories of what it could be, how far along, and you know, all these different fill-in-the-blanks. It's pretty amazing. I always think when they talk about the battles, uh, like they refer to in this, and that possibly being the cause of the death, maybe fight with another T-Rex. I always think of the monster movies. I think of anything that's big or, uh, you know, any story of, of, of anything small, shrunken, and having to deal with um, battling creatures that are a hundred times their size. And it always makes me kind of smile and think, wow, I always think, oh, oh gosh. Thank gosh, that's not real. But there was a time in our history where if we were around, we'd be dealing and navigating. Look, Ronald's T-Rex coming, you know, the size of a few houses. There's a reason why we weren't around. Exactly. Probably wouldn't have been around long. (laughs) Folks, the head of the United Nation is calling for greater accountability from the world's greatest and largest, biggest polluters out there. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres at the COP Climate Summit. The clock is ticking. We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. Greenhouse gas emissions keep growing. Global temperatures keep rising. Guterres also called for a new climate solidarity pact in which rich countries would help developing nations offset the costs they're facing due to climate change. Guterres singled out the U.S. and China, saying they had a particular responsibility to make it a reality. Inez de la Quatera, ABC News, Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So we hear always U.S., China, different countries in the world that are in that position, their size, the economic background, and so many people I'm sure say, why is it on us? But the crisis that we're facing is on so many people, so many countries. Oh, let me try the number of the whole world. And unfortunately, some places are not going to be able to be equal. They're not going to be able to be as creative or have the means to be for one reason or a thousand. And we need to take the bull by the horn. And I know some would say, well, what, you need, you know, the United States, China taking charge of it and doing it their way or the way. Well, we all need to say that the, the, the way to properly do it, Ramya, is the way to cut this down, the way to move forward and hopefully back this off 
what damage we've done, not necessarily repair what we've done, slow this thing to a crawl, the damage that's happening. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's a need for this kind of call out, right? This, you know, what countries are doing what? Because without this accountability, like, where can we really go? We talk about it on the micro level all the time, Kills, what you and I and what individuals are trying to do, what you can do, what you feel powerless to do. And so on the macro, in the bigger picture, you know, are you making it easy on us? Like, can can we... Uh, value this at all like in in certain nations you know this is the conversation we're having right now in in Ontario let's say Uh, but in China for example are you having these same conversations or is it just so normal to expect pollution yeah we all have to take care of our own yard and look into the others and say hey man can I give you a hand and some of us need it more because it's for the better good of all folks as we step aside for a moment got to tell you coming up next on Kelly and Company Question for you. What causes arthritis in cats? Dr. Daniel Johnkind informs us about this underdiagnosed condition in two minutes here on Kelly and Company. Take a moment, investigate the programming here at AMI-audio, folks. Good place to start is Twitter, at AMI-audio. That's the handle. You can see what's coming up on our show as we work through the broadcast, at AMI-audio for that handle. And you can also interact and find out uh, answers to your questions about AMI-audio. Feedback at AMI.ca. That's a great place if you want to ask questions of our marketing communications department about AMI-tv, AMI-audio, or AMI-tele. Feedback at AMI.ca. And, of course, you can always give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and company. And please give us permission to use your message on air. Otherwise, we certainly won't do that, so you don't have to worry about it. If you just maybe have a question or just a comment, 1-866-509-4545. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Well, we're getting into some uh, conversation about an underdiagnosed condition in cats. So let's bring on Dr. Daniel Jonkine. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives. And as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jonkine, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. We've talked a lot about arthritis in dogs. And in general, people talk a lot about arthritis in dogs, but... Uh, you know, particularly large breed dogs like German Shepherds and Retrievers. But cats also get arthritis. So we want to talk about what causes it. Do they show the same kind of signs that dogs do? Can we give them pain meds for this condition? And Dr. Danielle is going to talk about this. And as I referred to it, an underdiagnosed condition in cats. Danielle, let's talk about what arthritis is to begin with. Uh, Well, actually, arthritis um, technically means inflammation of the joints. Um, So, you know, in veterinary medicine, we refer to it as osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease, also known as DJD, of course, which is much easier to say. Um, But basically, the, the joints have cartilage lining the ends of the bones and a slippery fluid called synovial fluid um, that, you know, exists between the bones for lubrication. Um, And, you know, when the cartilage that lines the joint is damaged, 
um, that can result in damage to the bones as well. Um, sometimes the bones form these little spurs of bony material in response um, to damage, and we call those osteophytes. Um, joint pain and osteophytes can cause um, a reduction in the normal range of motion in the affected joint um, as the condition progresses. So, you know, basically all of these sorts of processes, you know, um, form this um, this arthritis that, you know, we talk about. And uh, it results in some pretty distinctive uh, clinical signs, you know, for pets that are affected. So what would we say causes the arthritis to happen in the first place? Well, you know, there's a bunch of different causes, um, you know, Sometimes, um, you know, it could be like an injury that damages a joint, for example. Um, another very common cause is um, damage from the immune system. So sometimes um, the immune system will malfunction and cause inflammation and, and joint pain. Um, sometimes infections will cause um, the immune system to kind of produce a lot of inflammation, which can cause some arthritis. And, you know, um, sometimes it's caused by like a degeneration over time, you know, um, that's related to aging. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that can, you know, lead to joint pain and everything in our pets. Right. Mm -hmm. So you may have heard or known yourself an elderly dog who have trouble doing the stairs uh, when they get arthritis. And I'm curious if cats show the same type of signs when they get arthritis. Well, not necessarily. Um, you know, arthritis in cats is probably actually, we suspect it's vastly underdiagnosed because, you know, cats are really good at hiding their illnesses and the signs right. can be, you know, very subtle. Um, so like dogs, you know, cats, of course, can lose some of their mobility when they become arthritic. And sometimes, you know, that manifests as uh, difficulty jumping up on things that they used to get up on quite easily. And, you know, I remember with um, my last kitty, uh, Simon, the first clue I had that um, maybe he was becoming a little arth arthritic was that he wasn't getting up on my kitchen counters. And, you know, for Simon, this really was a tragedy because he loved bread and muffins and cakes, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, I, I can tell you horror stories about baking a cake for a friend's birthday party and going out to the store to buy some icing, coming back and finding the cat had licked a crater out of the middle of the cake. Oh, and my goodness. And yes. was taking a nap on the top of it. Not even, no, corner, <laughs> not even a corner, Simon. Not even a corner you could cut off. Like it nope. was so. No, no, tragic. and that's that's by design, right? No, no, just keep that's leaving true. it here, and when I feel like leaving, I'll come back for more later. Don't worry, I got this covered. <laughs> you and and you should have had the cake covered too. <laughs> uh -huh. right. I should have. I should have. You know. So you know, when I could leave these items unmolested on my kitchen counters, like it became very obvious to me something wasn't right. right. You know? yeah. Oh man. So you know, poor kitty. But anyway, you know, a, a lot of older cats, you know, they can they can sometimes become you know a little bit grouchy when you're brushing them or trimming their nails, like when they never used to be, um, because you're pulling on their legs and. Mm -hmm. And their toes and stuff and you know and that could be because they have joint pain um you might also notice that they lick their sore joints more than they used to right. um and you you might see that their grooming isn't what it used to be so you know they might be getting knots and mats in the coat when they never used to do that or you know the hair kind of looks clumpy when it never did before 
Um, and, you know, a couple of other things that people sometimes don't notice or attribute to other things. And, you know, sometimes these kitties have trouble, difficulty using the litter box. Um, you might find they don't always use it or that, you know, everything falls just outside the box rather than in it. And this is because, you know, some, some older cats get spinal arthritis and it's hard for them and painful for them to curve their back when they mm. use the litter pan. And without that ability to curve their spine properly, they can have trouble grooming themselves. They can have trouble hitting the litter pan. Um, and they might also be less active because it hurts to move, you know, playing, running, jumping less than they used to. Um, so, you know, a lot of the, a lot you can actually see, you know, these signs can be very subtle and can easily be mm. attributed to other things like yeah. old age or behavior problems. So, you know, these are all things we have to keep in mind with our older kitties that maybe maybe it's not a behavior problem. Maybe, right. you know, maybe there's something going on. That could be a lot of time going by with this discomfort or, you know, saying, oh boy, it's something else or what else and, and coming up with other potential problems. <laughs> so that's, i.e., enter your veterinarian. So how do you diagnose the arthritis in cats? Well, you know, getting a definitive answer, of course, isn't easy at all because it can look like so many other problems. You know, for example, I don't assume that every cat who doesn't use the litter box has arthritis. Right. Um, so, you know, diagnosing it is is really about putting together the big picture here. So, you know, we we need you know, the people's observations of their cat's behavior and comparing it to how it used to be. Um, we also know that, you know, arthritis is typically a slowly progressive problem um, for most cats, you know, aside from a certain few causes, like an injury, of course, would not be a slowly progressive problem. But it's for the degenerative kind, it's usually something that, you know, progresses uh, rather than starting all at once. Um, we more commonly can see it in older cats, but, you know, we can't rule that out in younger cats either. So, you know, on a physical exam, um, I might find some joint pain or what we call crepitus, you know, where the joint feels kind of crunchy when I'm manipulating it. Um, I might also find a reduced range of motion. So a joint that should be able to flex and extend over a certain amount just can't go that far. Um, you know, it's always a little bit hard to assess though with cats because, you know, um, I find that, uh, whether they have arthritis or not, they don't typically like me messing around with right. their legs. So, you know, that's a little bit difficult sometimes. Um, but you know, we might find some joint swelling or maybe even some lameness, um, when I let the kitty walk around on the floor in the exam room. And uh, x-rays, of course, are another thing that can be considered as well. Um, but, you know, there are some limitations to how useful they can be. I mean, I have seen some terribly arthritic joints on x-rays that actually we didn't take for arthritis. We took them for a different reason. And, you know, and I, and I look at the joints and go, holy cow, how is this cat? not seeming painful or how mm. is it not lame and other times I have what appears to be a very painful cat and no changes on the x-ray at all so I mean x-rays can confirm when there are bony changes associated with arthritis but they don't really predict whether a cat will be painful necessarily right. um, you know so sometimes given the difficulties in diagnosis you know we, we sometimes resort to treating these kitties for pain and seeing how they respond to the medication and you know and if they have if we have a good response and you know the kitty is um more comfortable and more active and you know doing some of the things that they love to do then you know that confirms for us that you know we probably made a good call to treat that kitty with pain meds 
And and speaking of treatments, is there anything else on uh, treating arthritis in cats that you want to touch on? Well, some of the things we do for dogs with arthritis apply to cats as well. Um, but we have to remember that they aren't just little dogs and we can't treat them as if they are. Um, so central to any arthritis treatment plan is to make sure the kitty is a healthy weight. You know, carrying around extra weight adds unnecessary stress to the bones and joints and makes all the mobility problems that go with it way worse. Um, we've talked lots about weight loss strategies for cats on the show before. And, you know, of course, your vet can certainly help you with some ideas and suggestions. Um, the next thing in the treatment arsenal is supporting joint health. So, um, these therapies are more effective in slowing down and treating the joint disease if they're started early. Um, once the disease is very advanced, they're less effective and may not be nearly enough to keep a cat comfortable. So, you know, some of the things that people have tried with this are supplements like glucosamine and chondroitin, um, omega-3 fatty acids, adding those to the diet. Um, can, you know, help um, reduce inflammation in the body. Um, good data on how effective these treatments are is lacking, but they're low risk and they aren't necessarily expensive. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, they're worth a try. Um, when those measures aren't enough, we start reaching for pain medications. Um, we have really good pain meds for dogs that were developed for use with arthritis. Um, so usually drugs in the aspirin family, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, um, while those can be used in cats, um, some cats don't tolerate them nearly as well as dogs do. And using them sometimes carries elevated risks depending on the cat's health status um, for kidney disease and things like that. So, you know, um, we have to be careful that, you know, we assess how the kitty's doing otherwise before we prescribe them pain medication. Um, gabapentin is another pain medication that we can try. Um, there again, like the supplements, good data on how well it works is lacking, but it is safe for most cats to take. And, you know, um, it does help in many cases. Um, there is actually a new injectable pain medication available for arthritis in cats that just became available in Canada. Um, it's a completely new class of pain medication, and it's nice because it's given by injection once a month at the clinic, so you don't even have to pill your cat with it. Um, reportedly, it's very safe with few side effects, so I'm really excited to see how this new one pans out. Awesome. Okay, so is there anything at home we can do to help our arthritic cats have a little easier life? For sure. So, you know, putting a litter box for them on every floor so they don't have to travel very far to find one is a good start. Um, make sure the litter pan is large enough so they don't have to do that humping, curving their back thing as much to fit in it can also help. Um, remember that influence of weight, you know, don't let them get overweight in the first place to reduce the wear and tear on those bones, bones and joints as they age and definitely keep them. It will help to keep them active as well. Um you can also make some modifications to the indoor environment to help them get around too. things like building ramps or little stairs for them to, you know, get up to the windowsill or their favorite places more easily. And, uh, you know, that that will help them maintain their mobility and do all the things they love to do for longer. Yeah, I loved those conversations with you, Danielle, as our pets get older, how we can uh, consider some of the changes in our homes to help with their lifestyles. Uh, this has been really incredible, and next week is going to be fun. You put together a piece about the history of vet medicine in Canada. Very intriguing. Thank you so much, and we'll look forward to that one. Me too. See you next week. You too. Dr. Danielle Jonkine joining us for Ask a Veterinarian, and that is every Tuesday at this time. 
Well, folks, we'll step aside for just a couple of moments, but lots more program ahead, of course. Coming up, nutritionist Julia Carranza shares culinary ideas for pumpkins, folks, and proper ways to compost the remains after this. Wherever you're hanging in, listening to the program, we appreciate it. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Repeat of the show, 10 p.m. Eastern. And first thing in the morning at 6 a.m. here on AMI-audio. Also, folks, remember, we are available through TuneIn Radio, the Radio Player Canada app. So if you do have to sneak out, go do some stuff, you can take us with you. Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn Radio, awesome apps in which to do a search and find AMI-audio and enjoy Kelly and company while you're on the move. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program, and we get these conversations sometimes that leap off of each other. And we get so much background. Mary Mamaliti Rum was talking to us about some things we can do with pumpkins and, and stuff like that uh, post-Halloween. And, folks, we have the benefit now of getting some more information and ideas. Um, never can have enough, of course, on the program. We're greedy that way. Let's welcome in to Talk Nutrition, as we do every other Tuesday, with uh, Julia Caranchis. I love the world of nutrition. Join me, Julia Carantis, as we talk about everything from food and nutrition to living a vibrant lifestyle. Julia, I'm learning so much because, you know, I'm a fan. I like my pumpkin seeds. I've, I've always liked the carving when I was a kid of the, of the pumpkin and just having them around or seeing the different shapes when someone says, hey, look at this one. Isn't this cool? Let's talk about pumpkins and ideas what to do with them and how to eat them uh, because it's that time, you know, Halloween's done and what to do to dispose. Yeah, Halloween is done, but pumpkins are not. So, I mean, I I personally, I bought multiple pumpkins in October that are still well intact, and now they're just sitting there. So I started to think about pumpkin pie, but then I also started to think about how a pumpkin is a squash, like a winter squash, to be more mm. exact. And Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's so funny. We treat it, we treat it like a... And I don't know, like not like a regular food, but no, it, no, is, we don't. And it we, is. It's one of those yeah. weird things we think about at the certain time of the year. Um, yeah. And that includes the pies, mammoth amount of pies from, you know, the middle of October or early October through to Christmas. Um, yeah. But they seem to be no different than squash you'd find at a grocery store. I, exactly. And so that went through my head. And then, I mean, because to throw it out, you're literally throwing out. Food. food. It's like if you bought a summer squash off the grocery store shelf and then you just brought it home, put it on your table, and then two weeks later you're like, Okay, I'm done look like I'm done looking at you. I'm going to throw you out. Like, I'm I'm done having And I hope other societies don't view them the same way as we do as, yeah, well, you're that creepy food from from Halloween. Forget it. I mean, it's just kind of bizarre. So so then I started looking into all the things that we can do with pumpkin that go beyond pies, pies and, and lattes. Because that, that's our, it seems to be a big... That's um, the go-to. <laughs> it's the go-to. Okay, amazing. Well, I mean, I'm re- looking forward to this convo because, like you said, the in-season when it comes to food part is very uh, amazing. So yeah, let's talk about why it's different from squash that you would find at a grocery store. First right. of all, are they? 
Well, okay, so they're a winter squash. Like if you look up, you know, if you really want to be sciencey and talk about like the genus and the species of the plant, um, it does fall into this category. And so it's a winter squash, meaning that it has a hard skin as opposed to a summer squash like a zucchini where the skin is soft and therefore edible. I mean, we, we don't eat the skin of an acorn squash. We don't eat the skin of a no. butternut squash, but we still consume those foods, right? So, you know, we, we do eat the butternut squash and the acorn and the spaghetti squash. So it seems logical to give pumpkin more consideration in the mm-hmm. culinary realm, right? And especially because, you know, just to take it one step deeper, it is a great source of fiber. It's a great source of vitamin A and C. It's a good helping of potassium. And the seeds, I mean, even if you don't want to eat the actual pumpkin, and it's even more funny to think about that. Like the seeds are really available all the time as, yes. you know, a seed, like a sunflower yes. seed, a pumpkin seed. I mean, we eat the seeds all the time. So what's happening to the pumpkin that we took the seeds out of? So the mm. seeds are great for fiber and protein. It's kind of a backwards mm. thing with us, isn't it? Because a lot of things, yeah. we get rid of the seeds. These we will champion and promote yeah. them. But it's a food we also, as you say, throw away because uh, it's associated with a, a particular time of the year when you could have pumpkin soup year round. It, it, it would be beautiful. Yeah. That's so funny. That's such a funny concept when you think about it, how, yeah, like normally we eat fruit, we like with a melon, you hollow out the melon and you throw out those guts or like a papaya, you throw out those guts. But with the pumpkin, we seem to only want the seeds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're, <laughs> so, they're viewed as a, a treat really, um, yeah. because you can roll them in seasoning and your butter and stuff. So besides pie, what can you do with pumpkins? So first off, I want to specify that only pumpkins that haven't been carved into in any capacity are safe for eating. So unfortunately, if you have carved a pumpkin, you'll have to find another non-edible way to reuse it or to dispose of it or to do something with. So from a food safety standpoint, the the food has to be intact. You cannot have cut into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have a perfectly perfectly intact pumpkin... You can chop it up and make soup. You would just chop it like you would a squash, roast it, and then peel it. It's easier to peel once it's roasted. And then you blend. And you could blend with a broth. You could blend with a cream, a coconut milk. I mean, whatever. And it would, you know, be this, you know, equivalent to a butternut squash soup, which is which is trendy. Coconut um, milk. Ooh. Yeah, like if you I wanted to go the, the vegan yeah. Oh man, I buy coconut milk by the case because I just think everything is better with some creamy mm, fatness in it. Yeah. I mean, you just I just don't think you can go wrong. So um so that's great. So then you and then and you know you're making the soup, you can also add in the guts of the pumpkin and like boil it with all of its the bits, you know. Um another option is to cook down the flesh and make a puree for pumpkin bread. Right. So people make banana bread all the time. Now we can also do pumpkin bread and this puree could have other uses. You could put it into a smoothie with cinnamon for a pumpkin pie spice smoothie, which I I personally have done. Um, I've done it with canned pumpkin, too. And you could use canned pumpkin pie filling or just plain canned pumpkin and add in your own, you know, little nutmeg, cinnamon, clove if you like it. Um, And you can also if you don't want to do a soup, you can use the pumpkin chunks to make a broth. Like if you didn't want a straight pumpkin soup, because maybe you didn't like the flavor, you could still use those pumpkin chunks, chunk chunks, chunks to make broth. 
you know, because you can really add anything into a vegetable broth. So you could still use it and therefore you would be, you know, just repurposing the food one more time before you discarded it and getting all that good, like some of the goodness out of it. Like you'd be getting some of the minerals and the vitamins out of it that way. Obviously not the fiber, but you're, you know, still great to use it. So you could do a full soup. You could instead do a watered down version of it and make them into a broth. You can also cook down the chunks and do purees. And then you can use that puree for baking purposes. If, if you liked the flavor. People do use pumpkin puree for a lot of things. Like I know that it's healthy. It's just that we get them in a can. Um, whereas if you have pumpkins around anyway, this time of year, it's nice to think about making it from scratch. And then I was just going to say, my mom loves roasted pumpkin. Like she just, the same way we roast squash and carrots and other things in season, uh, she'll do it that way. And, and I found it like kind of outside the box. Like not a lot of people necessarily do that or, or think of pumpkin to add to your roasted vegetables, but, um, why not? Why, why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not? hard, it, you know, it's, it's very like, I guess a butternut squash, like it has that really hard outside and yeah, the and inside that, that you sweet... have to roast. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're not necessarily wanting to make it into a soup, like you said, a yes. soup or a broth, then you can just eat it in other ways. What are some things we can do with pumpkins that don't require cooking it or eating it? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Because sometimes the flavor is not for everybody. I used to think I liked pumpkin spice flavor, but it's really gingerbread flavor that I like. And I just couldn't tell. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Because pumpkin spice is technically not the pumpkin, right? It's just all the stuff we add into it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean... I just thought I liked it because everybody else liked it and it sounds so sounds so lovely. But then every time I would consume something pumpkin spice, I, I was like, oh no, actually I don't really like this. So it's um, the ginger. It's it's gingerbread that I like. But okay, so yes, for the for so if you're someone like me that maybe I would like the soup, but I don't I don't want all the pumpkin pie stuff. Um, so again, if the pumpkin hasn't been cut into, you can see if a local zoo or farm would take it as food for the animals. And although if you are deep in the GTA, this might not be the most practical solution. If you're on any of the outskirts, there's a lot of farms in the towns surrounding the GTA that do have animals. So you can contact them to see if that they, you know, they would take your uncarved, uncut pumpkins as food, um, And then you could also compost them or use them back in nature in the form of a bird feeder, which I know sounds ridiculous, but um, you can like hollow the pumpkin out, clean it out. You could add some sticks and then you fill it like as perches and then you just fill it with bird seed. And then eventually Mm. the pumpkin would degrade uh, over time. And then at that point you would take it down and you would allow it to compost and finish composting. So and that would be, I guess, healthy or healthy, safe, I mean, for yeah. any of the animals that do get into it. Right. Yeah. Right. Our okay. pumpkin got eaten on our porch by, I don't know if it was a cat or a mouse or a squirrel or what, but eventually the, the mouth of the pumpkin just kept getting larger and larger. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody was having a snack. But Until the other it pumpkin just disappeared. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can you know, composting it is a good idea. If they're not carved, see if a local farm or a local zoo would take it as food for the animal. Um, perhaps you have an animal that maybe you could feed it to. Um, and then yeah, or, or arts and crafts time and make it a bird feeder or donate it to somebody that would make it into a bird feeder. Somebody maybe that's 
has more. I mean, I'm not a crafty person, so but I do like that idea. <laughs> okay. Well, is composting really the most uh, safe thing to do, logical thing to do with a carved pumpkin? It's the mo- It's one of the safest since it's not safe for eating at that point. But you could also mash the pumpkin and spread the small pieces around for animals if you lived in an area that it was safe to do so. Right. But when I was when I was reading about that, it it did have a warning to say that you definitely want to make sure that you've carved the pumpkin really well so that there's no seeds left in it because otherwise you end up with your own pumpkin patch. Right. Yeah, I remember this... <laughs> I remember making jack-o'-lanterns and really, you know, pulling all that stuff out of there. And again, yes. we used to eat the seeds, so we went for all yeah. the seeds and everything like that, but it was just so gooey and stuff, but I don't remember you know, and what people would do back then, and probably many people went, oh, I don't smash it, kids, have some fun, until next year, yeah. oh, look, we've got our own pumpkins. You, can, I mean, you can take it to a field or a park that has a foresty area and, and smash it if you want to, but, I mean, it just depends on where, if, if there's already animals there or do you want to bring animals to that area, um, and you don't want to be growing a pumpkin patch. But the seeds, I mean, even if you just eat the seeds and the seeds are super easy to, to consume. I mean, you take them out of the pumpkin, you clean them really good and then you, you season them and you can season them with salt and pepper just to keep it simple. Or you could, you know, paprika, chili powder, whatever, you know, chipotle, if you like that flavor, and then you just roast them in an oven on it, like, you know, spread them out so that they're dry them and then spread them out on a cookie sheet and roast them. I'm sure. I'm sure Mary has some more exciting recipes. Oh, Mary for, for Mary had a great time <laughs> yeah, with us. Did. Yeah, made you want to go out and have like, what the heck? You got like two dozen yeah. pumpkins out here for the seeds. For the seeds and like with the holiday coming, what a fun snack to put out. Oh yeah, all through yeah. the winter and having your like in front of your movies seeds from pumpkins and people saying, what the heck? Where's your stash of? Well, anyway, there's only. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't know how long. The seeds are good for after you pull them yes. all out, if you do all that work and then stash them somewhere and what conditions and everything. Obviously, think, you're not keeping pumpkins around until February no. and pulling them out of there. No. And I know you can um, blend them. Like you can get sunflower seed butter and peanut butter and almond butter. You can also find pumpkin seed butter. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And it's, yeah, and it's pretty high and I believe it's iron, which is really fantastic, yes. especially for children, like develop, like growing children because iron is really crucial for that. So, I mean... How amazing. Good I mean, you grief. You buy it from the store. I know, right? If There's Popeye so... knew that, he'd have sworn off spinach forever oh, and spinach. been Mr. <laughs> pumpkin Seed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Julian. I'm pretty sure there's no comparison. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure not with all the salt and pepper and all. I mean, hey, all the probably cool things he would have put on it. <laughs> oh, yes. Fish oil. Anyway, see you later on. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Folks, well, that's Julia Carantis. You can join her every other Tuesday here on Kelly and Company, Opposite Wellness with Francis Wong. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about roller skating. A um, little item that Rummy is going to take us through. We'll have some chat about this. And uh, what is it? The forgotten sport activity that so many of us should really think about jumping into? A pair of skates? We'll be right back. Check our show out right from your TV. Rogers Ignite customers, look for us on channel 146. And 
on Novus. Guys, you guys can find us on channel uh, 889, please. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here, host of Kelly and Company with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. I'm at the Home Studio London, Ontario. Rum is at the Home Studio in Toronto. Okay, I'm settling back here. Before I get really active with this item that you have for us, because I'm thinking the good old days, Um, Andy Frank and I were having a talk about a place in Montreal called the Recretech that I I remember very much uh, in in Chambly-Laval that I used to go to. My sister would take me there for roller skating. And I was pretty little. I was five, six years old at the time. And it was, to me, a blast. But mostly the great music, all that disco music, but so many people. At that time, the place was just flooded. It Roller skating was the thing. And, and you've got some interesting things to share with us about this. Yeah, so does Glizzy. Okay, so this is pretty awesome. Oh, he does awesome. skate too, does he? Yeah, is that what he's I commenting will. on now? Yeah, he like, wants you know, to. Dog booties. Least. He definitely wants to, clearly. Um, but here's the thing. The, the, the idea of people talking about skating is... Uh, I think spreading Kells, like you and Andy Frank, you were saying they were, you were doing that because the title of this article states, what goes around comes around, roller skating's retro appeal. And this is by Tracy M. Herbal. We found it on the Associated Press. And that's basically what it is. It's coming back. People are interested. They're involved. It's much more than just talking about it. Uh, people are out there skating. So give you an example. Um, the article starts by talking about a nondescript basketball court in Walthor, Massachusetts. The leaves take on an optimal glow. The air is crisp and there's no pickup basketball players there. This is now a spot for people who roller skate. 48-year-old Tammy Donro Ing says that they've had their eye on skates for a while. Um, he saw that they were making a comeback and she comes there every few days, turns on music and skates, and that's wearing her helmet and knee pads. And as an older skater, she says she thought that she'd be self-conscious, but she's not. Uh, she falls all the time, but it's pure joy, she says. So it's kind of cool. Now, I wasn't around for the first generation of skating, uh, maybe during the inline skating in the 1990s, but I didn't realize this was a thing. But nowadays, there's a lot of places where you can tell that it's happening. Uh, they're saying that the retro flare roller skating has been uh, enjoying its 2020s revival and shows no signs of receding, maybe partly due to the pandemic, which drew yeah. more people to an accessible social and physical activity that could be done outdoors. It checks all the boxes, right, Kels, for pandemic activity? For mm-hmm. sure, for sure. And safety in that sense of going out, the the skates, the right skates, uh, the wheels lend itself to it as long as you have your right surfaces to be yep. on. I mean, we used to get really cautious and say, oh, it has to be on this kind of floor, that kind of floor, you know, but mostly that was so that you wouldn't leave marks all over the place with the skates, not so much damaging the skates. So it certainly checks the boxes. Definitely. And especially when you say outdoors, that's all really it took at all to to meet up with people, to be able to go do something together. Um, And so this is nice. And they're saying it's part of a larger fashion also. And music throwback to the uh, disco era of the 70s and 80s. And that was the last time when roller skating was so hot. In the 1990s, as I said, inline skates, which is a type of roller skate, were all the rage, but the buzz had gotten quieter. So this phenomenon right now is a bit bigger than that. Now there's roller skating rinks uh, or pop-up rinks 
in parks and on roadways and lots of skates on social media. Um, I'm wondering, first of all, aside from your convo that you just talked about, have you been noticing that it's everywhere? Like social no. media parks here in Toronto? Not really, right? No, I, I've not. And it's funny because, you know, you talk to people and here in Canada, everybody, oh, do you skate? Do you skate? And most do have had some activity, but a lot of people with roller skating, no. And it's funny because what you do know of it is the 70s, the feel, whether it's roller derby or skating to, to disco music. But yet for many decades before that, it was a hot sport and different mm-hmm. types of skates, boots basically on, you know, on flat things with wheels, like is, is basically how the original roller skates would have would have been like. And and then you had places that were built specifically for roller skating. Um, yep. Here in London, we had old roller palace and wheels, places like that. There is a, um, a skate rink somewhere on the 401 when I believe you leave Toronto or on the way out of Toronto going west. Uh, there is um, a skate park there. And it's a bit of talk, but definitely a lot of the examples here in this article point to the United States, all parts of the U.S. Um, but skate Especially for outdoor. Say, here they'll yeah, say our problem yeah. is winter. For sure. And they say that skate meetups in large cities are common outside the Louvre Museum in Paris or in Venice Beach, California, where skaters have congregated for decades, they say. New York City's Rockefeller Center actually this summer hosted a uh, roller rink for the first time since 1940. And it was advertising that they were bringing the 1970s magic back with it. So that's kind of cute. Also... They say there are a lot of celebrities on skates. We'll get to the influencers in a bit, but country star Tyler Hubbard mm-hmm. is, um, and he does laps under a disco ball in a video to the new song "Baby Gets Her Lovin." Also, Madonna took a spin around the pop-up rink in New York Central Park at a disco celebration this summer. Uh, R&B singer Usher's smooth skating videos pulled in the views on TikTok and YouTube. Joanna Gaines wore skates on the summer edition of her Magnolia magazine. Actors Ryan Gosling and Marco Robbie cruise up and down Venice Beach in neon yellow uh, inline skates as Ken Barbie. And that's for next summer's Barbie movie. So it's definitely, I'm not sure if the skating is making it popular amongst the famous people or if the famous people are making skating popular amongst <laughs> us. So it's pretty yeah. interesting. Well, and Ryan Gosling, being a Londoner, uh, would remember some of that activity of being, you know, here and, and people into skating. But we still, it was that throwback thing that even when he would have been young enough and doing it, where it was certainly not the same feel when you had three indoor venues that were like walking into uh, an ice rink and having mm-hmm. all that space and and your snack bar and your music blaring and, and a place open from three in the afternoon to 11 at night. Yeah. And it's a vibe, right? Like that's the thing it, with these kind of you know, the way you would think about, I don't know, going to a bar or a club or pub and just hanging out for a bit. That's what this feels like though i've never done it <laughs> which at um, some of the roller skating places it was like going it to a was crazy like that. bar <laughs> i saw it i saw it um but the the interesting part for me is how long like the longevity of it they said the inline skating didn't last so long so i wonder how long this is gonna i, go I think for. roller skating 
roller skating has the potential to once again be born because it's the easiest. Also, in the okay. item, it talks about you can ice skate and that's a workout, right? Exactly. Roller skating, if you look at all the, the, the things here, you could be doing it in competition. You could be doing it casual. You could roller skate in different places and be safe. And you can roller skate alongside someone where some people go out and jog. You could yeah. go out and, and just be talking about business or, or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. It's just an active active way of doing yeah. something. Yeah. 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 And getting that exercise where and you don't have to be any particular shape, fitness, you know, no. it, whatever. Start slow, do whatever, do it casually. <laughs> kind of thinking of like going bowling or something. Um, but I do want to say the there is some um interesting history around this. The filmmakers behind the twenty nineteen HBO documentary United Skates about roller skating as a vibrant black subculture said that they expected to be chronicling uh, the end of an era, but they found the opposite. One black uh, skater, a young guy said, skating is not dead. It just went underground. So you can tell, right? Like it's not necessarily the, the death of, or the end of a particular activity. Um, There are tons of people still doing it, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, if we look at the numbers, Kels, like the, the prices and the uh, money, the dollars going into this, right. they're saying roller skate scale, uh, sales really started to take off in 2020. So that's quite recent if you think about it. Uh, at some shops, they're more popular than uh, ice skates, which is really, really interesting to me. Many adult roller skaters uh, haven't skated since they were children, and this means online classes are booming skills and choreography classes are available online and on youtube people are roller skating in grocery store parking lots um and like you said a day of skating they say it can be a killer workout and there's varied forms of this roller skating including competitive speed dancing and roller derby which you mentioned which is a contact sport played between two uh teams and they encourage like you said to uh Start roller skating. You don't need to be in top shape for it. It's kind of everywhere now, so you can give it a try anyways. Like at the start of this article, that um, one person's example where they're like, hey, I thought I would kind of cringe at myself, but I'm loving it, which is really nice. Roller skating to, you know, roller derby has really changed from the violence of the 70s and that to what it is now. Also, I think with roller skating, for one, the skating thing, Canadian, right? So when you look down in the States and other major parts of the world, you're you're not, roller skating is going to blow it away now that it's emerging. But I think people got online, saw it, saw the difference, the diversity, mm-hmm. how much, how many people could say, I could put skates on and learn to do that fairly quickly, even just to kind of saunter along. And... You know, skating, you kind of have things. You want to wear your pads. You're falling on ice. You know, if you need them, you're going to be cold generally. Roller skating people can get out there, wear their leather jacket, wear their, All you know, year long. You, and you can just street clothes it and feel comfortable. And if they're looking for an identity, a style, especially as people were so thrown off during the pandemic with their identity and who they are, I guess mm. that can lend itself to it. Yeah, that's a definite point. And speaking of that, you know, if nobody skates anymore, we'll still have social media. There's people on TikTok getting billions of views for their skating videos. So it's kind of fun that way, too. We move on. It will go down. It will come up as it has for the last hundred years, roller skating.
Uh, thanks, Rum, for reading that item. Uh, really interesting. We had some fun with that and, and always something uh, interesting to think about, especially in our world today where so many different things are reborn and we take different angles from them. We've got another hour of Kelly and Company. Uh, we've got Bella Strange ahead. She's going to be giving us some skin care tips for the colder months, including uh, taking uh, taking care of our dry skin and our chapped lips. We're going to go into the archives and listen back to a collections conversation. But up next, community reporter Kim Thistle highlight the St. John's annual downtown Santa Claus parade and the MT Pearl Lions Santa Claus parade taking place this year. We'll talk to her at the top of the next hour. Welcome back to the program. As we begin Hour 2, it's Kelly and Company, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. She's at the home studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald at the home studio here in London, Ontario. I must be energized from the roller skating item. It just brought back so many memories of skating around, having some fun, and how much that was uh, a part of life when, when I was a teenager. At uh, Well, even when I was even younger than that. And I was on the little kitty court. I'd go to the roller rink, and there you'd go. Let's bring the kids over here. Go ahead, have fun. Hanging onto the wall, and, oh, I can skate to where I can sit down. Great. I'm such a great skater. <laughs> it was so much fun. Uh, I mean, other than those falls that she mentioned at the uh, beginning of your article. Th- those, right. no, I, I wouldn't want to be reliving. You didn't have the knee pads and the helmets on? Nothing. Helmets. Uh, <laughs> helmets, I know. Helmets. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's they didn't even bother with those in the NHL back then. Why would kids roller skating have have to have them on, right? Why? <laughs> Safety? What's that? What do you mean it makes sense? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, on Mondays and Tuesdays, we visit with our community reporters here on the program. Today, we're uh, going to visit with uh, Kim Thistle uh, from St. John's, Newfoundland, and we'll hear items about St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador in her reports with us. So let's get a visit in. Kim, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, nothing about roller skating happening here. Are you talking roller skates with the four wheels? Yeah, not, not the roller blades. No, not the roller yeah, blades. With, with the, the, the nose on the front of it, and you're skating. Yeah, and you're yeah. You're, did you, you did stopped you, yourself by putting your yeah. Yeah, your that's right. Forward, you put your foot right? down, and <laughs> and sometimes if you're lucky enough, you'd hear this. You'd hear the the squeak. Know. You know, just like rubber. You'd hear that little stop. <laughs> you know, as people would come to the street. Yeah, that or would sometimes you'd wreck it and it'd pop off, right? <laughs> and then you weren't stopping except for the wall. Yeah, then you relied on the wall to stop. Kim, uh, interesting item off the top: three percent realty, East Coast. Right. So, so this theme this month, obviously, we're getting geared up for the Jolly Fellow next month. You know, mm-hmm. and Christmas is around the corner. So this month is a theme about getting ready for Christmas. I cannot believe I'm actually saying that. Like, this is November, and we are, I don't know where the year went. But in any case, there's so many different things to choose from. And so I tried to have a bit of variety and something that didn't cost it too much and, you know, something that you pay for. So this one, I thought it would be great. The pictures with Santa, they're community giving. So the donation is a toy, toy for for them to toy drive. So I thought that was a great idea. You come in, you have to meet with Santa Claus, get your picture with Santa Claus, and it's at the Flavarium on Sunday, November the 20th. And the Flavarium is a really unique building. You know, it's a, a science center type of thing. So I would assume that it would be as inaccessible for going in on the main level. But there's a lot of stairs going downstairs. A lot of stairs, stairs down, 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 down. 
further, but I would think it would be on the main level. And I think it'd be a great opportunity if you want to get, you know, the kids or the grandkids or even yourself with Santa Claus. And there's a special <laughs> here that Santa has Santa has an exciting announcement. So I found on the rock, he got visitors coming, the cosplay volunteers. He, guess who's coming? They're going to have Black Black Cat is showing up, Deadpool, Princess Anna, Kristoff, Princess Aurora, and Elf Fairy, and Captain America. Wow. Now, who would want to hang out with Santa Claus, like with that That's a crowd? big guest list. Wow, and what a, what a popular it? guest list. It is. I'm thinking, you know, you know, get to maybe you might want to, you know, drop on down here to get your picture with Captain America. I mean, would you get an opportunity to do that with wow. Santa Claus? Yeah, that's really cool. Could you? That'd be great up on the wall or up on the mantle, you know, Santa Claus, Captain America, and you. Awesome. I think it would be, wouldn't it? So I think it, I think it's a great opportunity. Like I said, we are trying to raise. You know, times are tough, and for some of us, and I think you know, giving back into the community and like I said, a, a donation of a toy. I think this is a great opportunity, and you get to mingle with them. You know, Captain America and Deadpool and them, and I believe there's going to be hot chocolate and marshmallows. And it's from one forty-five. Let me show. I got the time: one forty-five to four p.m. So it's not saying anything about booking or, or booking in advance. So I'm assuming it's you know first come, first served, right? Yeah. And get your mm-hmm. pictures with Santa Claus. So I thought it was a, you know it was a nice opportunity, and they're giving back to the community. So a yeah. wonderful cause. And if you can't make that one, you can catch Senna in all these other places. He's obviously keeping super busy this time of year. Two Christmas parades. Yeah. Uh, tell us about St. John's, the the annual downtown Santa Claus parade, as well as the Mount Pearl Lions Club Santa Claus parade. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the big guy is going to be busy. Oh, of course. When, you know, getting these helpers out and about. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of things going on. I added these two things because... One, there's no cost to it. Typically, you know, they ask for a donation, you know, for the food bank, or you can collect money, and that's usually done by Newfoundland Power employees, which is a great bank, you know. They're walking with their their, their, oh, their shopping carts, and they're collecting food. And I, it's always been a special thing for me. I've always liked going to see, you know, downtown parade, even when I was a teenager, you know. And then when I had children, it was bringing them, and then they'd be involved in the parade themselves collecting food so i just find it it's, it's a nice way of getting into the christmas spirit like it feels like christmas is around the corner because no it's on november the 27th at 12 noon and the alternate date is um sunday december the 4th so that's downtown st john so the streets will all be blocked off so you park and you walk down there i think you know everyone make their own choice about wearing a mask and not wearing a mask but the fact is getting out and hearing the bands and hearing this, seeing the cheerleaders and seeing the dancers and listening to the music. And and I just love it for the kids getting so excited. I mean, I'm, you know, a little kid at heart myself, right? I get excited <laughs> getting ready for Christmas. So that, and Mount Pearl has their Lions Club Santa Claus parade, and that starts at 10 a.m. on Saturday, December the 3rd. So you're not able to make one or you're able to make both of them. This is a two option. So, and the, the Mount Pearl one starts, I can't remember, one of the high schools, I think it was O'Donnell, and then they'll come down on Ruth Avenue and come along there. So they have their trail. So, I mean, you know, Santa Claus is going to be there. You, I'm sure SpongeBob, SquarePants, I mean, any characters that you can think of will be there. So I think it's, it's cool when, when they have multiple ones that you can get to. 
And there's so many yeah. beautiful reasons to participate and to show up for these because they're taking donations, they're taking, uh, you know, per- yeah. non-perishable items for the food bank. Like the the organizations and the causes around this time of year are always um, beautiful. Yeah. A, a lot of families and individuals um, who have a hard time with the holidays, right? So these are ways that you can exactly. support. Exactly. You know, and every bit counts, you know, Salvation Army, Kettle or or whatever, you know, like, yes. Well, and this year is this year's a tough one, especially food banks, people needing help, people who have full time jobs going out and needing support. And at least wise, these parades are wonderful for smiles, for that place you can take the kids and not feel they're missing out on getting into the holiday spirit. Um, Let's talk a little bit of. Let's talk a little bit about Scrooge 2022. And this is Peter McDonald. No relation, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you. Uh, this the, the Peter McDonald Productions. Yes, now, Peter McDonald Productions, he's been doing this, oh my gosh, I'm going to think, geez, 15, 20 years? I forgot to check the... And the reason I know that is my dearest best friend, her son, started in it, and he's now in his, you know, like, t- late 20s. And he's, he's um, started his career in the Peter McDonald production of Scrooge as Tony Tim. And his two brothers also starred in Scrooge as they got older. And they, and the, and they are a musical thing, singing and dancing family. So I, I just love Scrooge. And, and it gets you in that, you know, spirit. You know, it's a, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, one of my favorite stories. I, I, you know, I love watching it on black and white, the old movies. But this is a cast of over 60 performers and, you know, kids of all ages and adults and everyone coming together and recreating that story. And he always does a phenomenal job. I find that that production and he's, you know, music teacher and actor himself. And, you know, he has his own studio teaching, singing, singing and things, music. Mm-hmm. So that's Thursday, December the 1st to the 3rd. And the cost is $43, and that includes HST and service charge. So it's a nice evening out. Yes, it can be a little bit steep, but I think if you, you know, there's so many things you can choose. I mean, there's so many concerts. For me, this has always been dear to my heart because, you know, seeing the big cast that they have, and, and usually I know someone who's in it. Does... um. Does the production change when you, since you've seen it multiple times? Does it change year to year? Yes. Um, not too, too much. Not a whole lot. You know, like we still, you know, the, the, the oh, his voice does the, I don't want to give anything away. I'm afraid I'm giving away, you know, the last, <laughs> the last ghost that comes through. So, but, but, you know, not a whole lot of changes. I've seen it about three times. I haven't seen it recently, but no, there's not a whole lot. But if you know what, everyone puts their own slant on being in character, right? I mean, the story is not going to change, and it, it, it's always it's always a great evening to get out. Yeah, for sure. And get um, spirit, right? Do you have one of those versions of Scrooge that is your favorite from TV, or the movies? Well, the ones we see on TV now, but of course, yeah. originally in the movie theaters. Which one's your favorite? You know what? I still haven't found it. I saw it many, many years ago. It must have been one of the first ones they did in black and white. Like, it's so black and white that it almost looks white. Does that make sense? Like, the color of the watch. Yeah. And and that one seems to be very spooky. I can remember watching it. But I can't remember. Like, every now and then I come across it. You know, on you know, on the TV late at night, or you know, something plain. But that has always been one of my favorite ones. 
Yeah, I yeah, know the, the one with Alistair Sims seems to be the one that's most popular, and I get yeah. them mixed up. I don't really, I, I can't yeah. remember which one's which now because that, that is, I know what one you're referring to, and I, I always define them yeah. as, yeah, the one that seems to have the really weird echo sound in it. There's one that has this kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> audio to it, but it, it, they're sold because you're going back early 30s and, and so on with these. And I just wondered because people like to say, oh, this is my favorite one, and I wondered if you had one of the ones, chose one. One of the ones yeah, over the, the others, one, if you could one. find it. And and if another one that I loved always watch is um oh, it's a wonderful life. Is that right? Is that the yep. name of it? Christmas one, right? Yeah, yep. that yep. is always a good one. I even though we all know that you know the angel gets his wings, but that's always been my favorite too. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I, it, it's, I mean, the I, 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 I don't watch a lot of them, but that one seems vaguely familiar. <laughs> oh. Kim, uh, awesome stuff, Kim. Thank you very much. I, I'm not sure of the timing of scheduling of uh, your next report. I think we have you before we pop off the air, but um, don't quote me on it. Uh, wonderful stuff. Appreciate it and all the work this year. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I'll be kind. I'm on my way to Costa Rica now, and oh. next, wow. next week. So I'll be I'll be thinking of you in the hot while I'm in the hot space. Please do. Maybe I won't be thinking of you too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a yoga retreat. Yeah. I'm going to yoga. Oh, beautiful. And then I just relax for a week. So yeah. Oh, nice. Going to yeah. So, hot water anyway, yoga. Cool. <laughs> Take care, oh, Kim. No, I don't know about... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Kim Thistle, our uh, community reporter, uh, covering off things St. John's uh, Newfoundland, of course, and Labrador. You can go to ami.ca slash Co to pick up uh, information on the things that she discussed during her community report. We do these on Mondays and Tuesdays on, uh, on Kelly and Company. Up next, ladies and gentlemen, on the program, Bella Strange joins us, and she's going to be giving us some skin care tips for the colder months, including taking care of dry skin and chap lips. We'll have that conversation for you ahead right here on Kelly and Company. Remember to check out the Kelly and Company podcast, folks, when you have a chance. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we toss on an audio vanity card at the end. Check it out whenever you want to. Maybe there's a favorite contributor or a segment that you joined halfway through it and you want to go back and listen to it again. On your favorite platform, please subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast. Ramya Booth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. On the second Tuesday of every month, we like to chat with Bella Strange, and she brings us all these wonderful, accessible uh, makeup tips and tricks. And actually, we've been talking a lot about skincare too. Bella, welcome back. Thank you for coming on. Hello, hello. It's so wonderful to hear you guys again. I know, and I have to ask, because now it's post-Halloween, did you go all out? Like, what was your Halloween experience for anything? So my parents, own, <laughs> my parents own a hearse. So we spent a lot of time in the back of the Hershey costume. <laughs> and and did, when you guys do that, is it parked and for the trick-or-treaters walking by, or do you actually get on the road? Oh, we go on the road. They I use it as like so. a day-to-day card as well. It's great wow. for groceries. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, during one of our interactions with you, and we won't spill all the beans today, but, you know, there was a lot of this... Um, 
uh, Halloween fun going on in your family all the time. So it's really uh, that, that was uh, <laughs> that was the uh, family car in the old TV series, The Munsters, except it was a hot rod. Yeah, they, they also had the Dragula. Oh, believe me, my family's like, we want to own the, the yeah, Adams family cars. We want to own the Munsters. <laughs> <laughs> One day when I win Cash for Life, I will do that. Right. <laughs> right. Or the U.S. Powerball. Oh, man. So, listen, Halloween fun is over for most of us, maybe not for you, but we got to talk skincare now because we're getting in the midst of all the cold weather. What should we be thinking about this time of year for our skin? Of course. So especially with the wind that is coming off of the lake or wherever you're living, it's getting colder, it's getting darker sooner. So we need Mm -hmm. to start thinking about like, how is that affecting our skin? I know for me, I need a thicker moisturizer once that wind really starts coming at my skin, you know, making it feel dehydrated, making it feel burned. So having a thicker moisturizer is such a necessity for me. And probably is for a lot of people who don't realize. They're like, why is my skin so red and my face hurts so bad? You might need a moisturizer. <laughs> and, You're and- fine. And I have to ask, like, do a lot of people moisturize? Now, you're a makeup artist, so you've run into mm-hmm. all kinds of people and their faces. So I'm curious because I had a conversation not even more than a year ago with my brother, who's eight years younger than me, and who was like, no, it's just not part of my regular skincare routine. So I'm curious if that's a thing. Oh, uh, believe me, a lot of people don't use moisturizer. A lot of people will end up using shampoo as a face wash. I've heard it all. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's what and, kind and of I wondered. No that. That. Yeah, Sorry, no, no definitely. That, yeah. Right? Like, yep. Yep. Not everybody's taught this. You're not, you don't come out knowing all of this. It's something you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will be like, I'm washing my face with like a bar of Dove soap and my yeah. skin really doesn't like it. Well, it might be because the ingredients might not be something your skin likes, or maybe it's not giving you what your skin needs, because everybody's skin is different. Mm-hmm. There are and, so many different skin yeah. types and, and textures. And environment is really going to take its toll on you. Like, I mean, we've had discussions on the show even reminding ourselves about, you You know, you go from a dry electric heat, let's say, you go into a place, you come outside, you got wind maybe that you're dealing with, and it's a bright sunny day, you still need to protect your skin that way. There's a lot that's beating down on your skin and, and certainly going after any ounce of moisture in it. Mm-hmm. And it's our biggest organ, right? Like, yeah. it, it, it's always pretty much any part of you like is going to be against the weather against the elements at any time whether it be your face your hands um i don't know your kneecaps maybe if you got something going on where you really like your knees and want to show them off i'm not one of those people but maybe you are (laughs) but even even you know wearing your coat wearing your whatever in this time of the year going into the winter you know that the air doesn't care it'll take that moisture from anything it just evaporates and and gets you into trouble Mm -hmm. Exactly, which is why we have to start looking at our skin and go, okay, something's going on here. Let's try something new. Let's try a new moisturizer, maybe a lip balm, because I know my lips get super duper chapped with the wind. Right. Especially because I'm usually screaming into the wind going, why? (laughs) So my lips get super chapped doing that all the time. And hand and body creams? Uh, Is our, the face, the moisturizer we use for our face always the right option for the rest of us? The rest of our body? Well, it really depends because a lot of people can't handle 
super scented, you know, like those beautiful like strawberry scents or those rose scents. Sometimes face skin is not the same as your body or your hands, you know, especially the skin on your eyelids is the thinnest skin on your body. Right. So testing things, uh, doing the patch test where it's where you take a little bit of the product, put it on the inner wrist and see if anything happens. If you get any redness, any hives, any itching is always best to do before you put it on your face because your face is going to be super sensitive, especially if you're on certain medications like I'm on a injectable once every I think it is eight weeks I have to be really careful with what I put on my skin because Mm -hmm. my skin is being affected in a different way from someone who's maybe not on the same kind of like chemo or anything like that okay can you talk to us about application um we talked about the thicker moisturizers especially for the the Mm -hmm. temperatures and now it's kind of confusing because one day is hot and one day is cold but how do we um, maybe just some generic general tips on creating a skincare routine. Of course. So a skincare routine does not have to be complicated. I know going on Instagram, going on social media, YouTube, you'll see someone who goes, here's my 15 step skincare routine. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. If you can afford it, or if you really, really like skincare, that's just not reasonable for, you know, even me. All you really need at the end of the day is something like a cleanser, which is just face wash to get rid of any oil or dirt or pollution from the day. Um, a moisturizer in the moisturizing type that would work best for your skin. And then sunscreen. That's all you really need because mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are going to take care of so many things. I mean, if you want to get a little more fancy and technical, have at it. But for most of us, a cleanser, a moisturizer, and a sunscreen is all you really need. Can you overdo it? Can you, you know, put stuff on there you shouldn't? Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's been many times where I've gotten so excited because, you know, a a new skincare (laughs) regime's come out. And I'm like, I'm going to try all of them. And then I I look like I'm 13 on photo day at high school going like, I have giant whiteheads or, you know, red bumps. Your skin can get super congested. It can get confused. It can get, it can just kind of freak out on you if you're not careful. So I always say introduce new skincare, new makeup gradually because you don't want to slap it all on your face. Then you have no idea which thing broke you out or, you know, is giving you the trouble in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You were talking before about lips and, of course, a very sensitive area as it is because sometimes we'll feel they're more chapped and changed. Um, Why is that? Well, some people and I've only I've realized this in the past decade. Some people are allergic to tocopheryl acetate. Sorry, I always have to say that slower, a.k.a. vitamin E. Now, vitamin E, we get told, is super-duper moisturizing, and it is for certain people. Mm -hmm. But I know that I can speak from experience that I think I do have an allergy. Now, apparently 33% of people have an allergy to this. Wow. And so if you ever find... That's significant. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and my family used to swear by it, right? My mother swore by it. I mean, there's also people who love coconut oil. There's yep. people who love argan oil. It, it, like I said, everybody's skin is so different. Mm-hmm. But I find when I use a lip balm where tocopheryl acetate is really high up in the ingredient list, my lips actually do the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. So instead of getting that nice moisturizing, getting rid of all that dead skin, getting rid of any cracks, I'll wake up, my lip will be bleeding the next day. Oh my. But I mean, that's from me. But there's lots of different things you can try. There's lots of different types of lip balms that maybe don't have vitamin E as high up in their ingredient list. And how you can always tell if something 
if there is more of something in an ingredient list is how high up on the ingredient list it is. If it's like the first, second, third, or fourth, it's mostly that. If it's like the 20th or 25th, there's barely any of it in there. Okay, well, I'm curious about what 25 ingredients are in my lip balm now. Um, but I'm also... <laughs> <laughs> Still sounds really excessive to yeah, me. Yeah, like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what other choices do people have? Like, if you know you are allergic or you're possibly thinking you are, uh, there are other things you can try out maybe? Of course. There's always beeswax. Beeswax is quite nice. Um, there's also a lot of people might not know this unless maybe you live near a farm, uh, lanolin, the waxy secretion that comes off of sheep that, you know, makes wool really nice and soft can actually be a wonderful hydrator. I know a lot of people who use it for um, breastfeeding mothers use them. Um, I know a lot of people who use it for hand cream. I know a lot of people who use it as lip balm. There's so many applications that you can use it for, and it's fantastic. I find that lanolin actually stays moisturizing way longer than most of my other lip balms will. Now, does it come as a lip balm? Like you can look for it in the form of lip balm or would you just have to utilize it that way? You can find it in lip balms. There's actually a brand that you can buy at Sephora that makes it into a whole bunch of products, including lip balms, lip tints, lip lipsticks, different colors. But at the base of it, it is lanolin. You can get it as a cuticle oil, but you can also, depending on what uh, pharmacies you go in, you can just get lanolin in uh, one-use packets, and you can just use that. It's going to be completely clear. It's going to be see-through. Um, but if you wanted to try something with a little bit of a tint, you can always go to a cosmetic store, and I'm sure they're going to have one in the lip color that you're looking for. Right. Um, and as with anything else, you mentioned this with the makeup applications and skincare too. Um, you want to try it first because what if you're sensitive to this? Mm-hmm. And especially with our lips because a lot of us use our mouths for so many things, not just for talking or smiling. You know, we need it for maybe holding utensils, maybe for drinking and eating. So always do a patch test with anything new, which is where you take a little bit of the product, not a lot, just a little bit, put it on the inner wrist. So when you look at your palm, just a little lower down on your arm from your palm of your hand, and you put a little bit there. And if you want to be extra careful, you can always put a Sharpie or pen uh, ring around it. And if it looks like any redness is happening and it starts to creep out of that circle that you've drawn on your, your arm, then you know that this is not a product you should use. And if possible, return it to the store and get your money back. Amazing. Well, yeah. And um, I'm very um intrigued about this uh, concept of like makeup also considering skincare, right? So I feel like there was a point where makeup was so the opposite of skincare. Like you take care of your skin and you got to get rid of your makeup so that you can uh, go back to caring about your skin or people who, you know, were not wanting to ruin their face or, or have all these um, things against makeup would just not use it because they, they go skin first. But now, like as you mentioned, um, lanolin being used in makeup products, but you talking about it being such a moisturizing uh, alternative it's nice to see that there's so much skincare involvement with our makeup yeah especially um since covid because a lot of people stopped wearing makeup 
you know, especially right. if you're wearing a mask every day, you're not going to use as much makeup as possible. So people really started to look at their skin and some people got COVID skin. You know, uh, I know me personally, I have to wear my mask every single day, uh, no matter where I am because mm. of my immune system. Um, I was starting to get really bad rashes from how the, the mask was kind of rubbing against my skin. So I would look at the mask, see if maybe I needed to use a different one, a different moisturizer. So skincare has become like a really big thing in yeah. just these past two to three years. But what's wonderful is so many makeup brands know that skincare is important because the best primer or your makeup is going to be skincare because that's going to give you yes. your canvas, right? Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. You know, if you have a ripped canvas, you, you're going to see the rip. But mm-hmm. if you have a clean canvas, maybe tape it up a little, aka using skincare, helping you a little bit with your skin's type or its condition, that's going to make your makeup look fantastic. Because at the end For of the sure. day, it, you're going to see the skin first. You know, even if I do an orange lip and some, you know, fire eyeliner coming out of my eyes, you're going to see my skin first. Yeah. Bella, thank you so much. Uh, really great. And as uh, talking to you, figuring out how easy skincare can be is also very helpful. We'll chat with you next month. You're the best, and I love talking to you both, and I hope you have a great rest of the day. Take thank care, Bella. You. you too. Bella Strange joining us on the second Tuesday of the month to talk all things makeup, tips, and tutorials. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. When we return, it's time to reach into the archives. We're going to be listening to a collections conversation. So hopefully you'll stick around too and relive that with us. It'll make you smile. Stand by. on AMI-audio. Women now fill slightly less than one-third of the seats in Parliament. A woman has had the position of Prime Minister only once. Listen to professional readings of articles from the Walrus Magazine. This gap exists despite the fact that most Canadians say they welcome women politicians. That's Voices of the Walrus, also available as a podcast. This is AMI-audio. Welcome back to the program. Romeo Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show. Thank you for being with us. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to go back into the files here. There we go. Right back into the files as we open up the vault. No, don't ask. I cannot do a squeaky vault door. Get out of here, will you? You can. Uh, you haven't practiced. No, no, no. It doesn't sound like metal. It sounds more like wood or something from Halloween from some creaky house. There's just, there's just no way because you got to have the right full body sound of a vault door, and that's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the only way to do it. All right. Uh, this is from May tenth. Uh, 2022, and Carrie McKee is going to be talking to us about our Buffy the Vampire Slayer collection. So let's take a listen from the vault. Karen McGee, one of our colleagues, our content development specialist near Ottawa in Morrisburg, you're here because the gist of it is you're collecting or do collect Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic books, right? Yes, and don't mock me. So I love this team show like I loved this show when it was on I know it's problematic now with Joss Whedon Matt was making fun of me earlier when he called not I'm not taking that personally um I 
it was just something about the show that I loved. And while it was on, they started doing comics that were sort of, um, and I was never really a comic book person, but while it aired in like the night, I think it started, it started in 97, comic books first started coming out in 98 and they were kind of like companion to the series. Some of them were basically direct from the show. Some of them told you a little bit about other characters. I wasn't as into them then. However, when the show ended in 2003, um, a few years after that, they launched season eight of Buffy in comics. So they continued the story. And let me tell you how much I wanted these. They weren't easy to get a hold of. Um, I've sort of started collecting them. There's hundreds of them now, hundreds of different comics, sort of spin-offs, different spin-off characters. Um, they are $2.99 to buy the comics to start with. It's not that expensive. However, um, I was not as smart as I should be, and I was waiting for them to come out in what's called library editions. So they put out these books that go into libraries that are hardcover with all the comics inside. Brilliant idea, right? You wow, have them all yeah. at once. If I had bought them, they were like 40 bucks to buy when they first come out. Take a guess at what, so season eight Buffy, it takes four of these books because there was 40 comics in the series. How much do you think a hardcover edition is right now? So there would have been 160 for the four of them back then. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I got to say to to each one now has got to at least be 150, 200. Yeah, to go higher. I was gonna say. Go oh, higher. Ridiculous. Really? I didn't want to. 500? I didn't want to because I didn't want to hear, are you kidding me? Uh, Rum says five. five. What's that? Between three and five. Between three and five, depending on their Ooh. condition. Per wow. book. Wow. Per recover. Wow. I missed out on investing in these. Um, so I've been trying to collect them. I, I don't have any of the hardcover ones, but it was free comic book day on Saturday. So... Jeff and I went to the comic book store in Cornwall and free comic book day, basically the comic books they gave out. There was a Buffy one they gave out because, well, it's a long story, but Buffy was originally done by, um, doesn't, isn't done by, um, it was Dark Horse for 20 years and it's just gone out by Boom Comics. The Dark Horse comics are the ones that have like the continuation of the series that I really want. Right. Um, so, but Boom had like a, one of the free comics was a Buffy comic and these comics are not I don't want to say real comics when they have free comic book day, but they're ones to get you interested in learning more about right. the series. So there was an Archie yeah. one there. It's a lot of ads, but they're fun to have. Um, free comic book day cost Jeff and I $130 because I started going through the bins. So it works. So still not as much as a hardcover, but go ahead. I got about another 20 to ask. I've got about 70 now. Um, I got some duplicates because they're always handy to have duplicates. They're all very carefully put in plastic. But I just love the idea that they continued the series. And I haven't read them all because I need to read them in order right. um, as I collect them. And I just, but I just love that in this medium that they could expand more. Okay. They weren't so, tied down by special effects, right? And if you look back in the 90s, the special effects were fine. But that's like 25 years ago. So in these comics now, they they can do more. Like they can, okay, jump out of helicopters. I know it sounds crazy. Mm. But they can do more with the characters. They can do more with the what happens to them in that sort of world that I really, really, really enjoyed at the time. Please don't think I'm crazy. Well, hold on but, here. So mm -mm. so this is where I just want to make sure, because you're not, you're talking the comic book itself, the way it looks. And as a, as a blind person who's never, and I remember as a child that people would talk of comic books because back then they were absolutely huge. And, and I, you know, and, and I, as an old radio show fan, they do nothing but reference comics for, for the, the old, like Superman and all the old radio shows, you know, pick up your comic. So I, I hear that. I, I understand that as technology has changed more vivid and so on, pictures in the comic books happen. But I almost don't quite understand some of 
not the the appeal, but when you say that, the look of it, and the ones you picked up, I think I want to get that clear. They were mainly those support ones, not necessarily the the books, right? That you picked up at yeah, the no, I didn't. I didn't buy the books. It's right. really hard to find them. Um, yeah. I will find them sometime when I win some kind of extra money somewhere. Right. Um, they're always on my Christmas wish list. Nobody ever gets them for me. I don't get it. Um, I think it's carrying the five hundred dollars around. It's just too mm-hmm. heavy for most people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but how often would they have come out in when they when they came out during the run of um, Vampire Slayer? There, how would, were they once a week? Comics it was about came once out? a month. Once, once a, a month. month. It depends. It, it depends uh, which which time. Because again, the, there are so many comics in this world now. When they first started coming out, it was once a month, and I was pretty good to get my butt down to the comic book store in Barrie, but then life gets in the way, and you forget, and you get there, and they're sold out. So Because they were pretty uh, popular. So so just I'm just trying to get a hold of this. So the books were one year. Is that is that right? So the books came out after all the comics come out. Okay. Or and they, they basically abridged them, and it's a huge book. It's ah, probably okay. one and a half high, and then these beautifully bound. I've actually bought some since I realized how much they value. Yeah. Um, of the Angel series, which is a whole other. So, like, I have them. I don't read them. I don't want to get them dirty, which is weird to buy them and not read them, right? Yeah. Okay, um, then how do you stack them? Like, how do you I keep them like, around? Because you said you have 70? The comic book stores will get you plastic. I keep them in a Rubbermaid box in individually plastic with a piece of cardboard in them. Um, yeah. Oh, wow, I can hear myself. I sound nerdy. Um, the Something they've done, Kelly, that you were talking about accessibility. Somebody on the Internet has taken the time, and I'm sure it started off as a school project, but they have animated the comic book series. I don't know how this works with copyright. I just finished like a copyright law course, so I don't even want to guess. I'm sure there's a problem. But they've animated them. Wow. And had the characters talking so you can hear the voice. And it's not the actors doing oh, the voice. Nice. It's no, it's just somebody well, doing it themselves, recording it, the, and, and what's written there. Yeah. Wow. And, well, and they've animated the, so you hear the sound effects of the fights. So oh, you, nice. Do you remember those old Batmans that were the Kabao and Boom? Yep, yep. These are a little more high end, but you could tell what was going on. So they, there's not description with them, but you get a better idea. Like you hear, you hear helicopters, and you hear like the sound of somebody falling and like landing. Right. So while there's no description, it's a bit, it, it's a little bit more accessible than the comics, which I will fully admit are not accessible in any way, shape, or form. I've heard mm-hmm. of people who have Braille comics. They didn't do them for Buffy. Right. But still, if you're like a, a blind person who can't necessarily access the content, but still want to collect because you're a huge Buffy fan, then this is still a thing for you. Yeah. It's still yeah. a thing. And then you don't have to get upset about not reading them because you just put them in the plastic and one day yeah. either sell them or just move them, them if that's what you want or just have them around. Just braille label it. So how many would there be, would you say, because you said you have 70. So 70. I guess I was trying to figure out in the books how much you're, how many comics you're getting. For, so you're getting for, about 10 in a book. Okay, 500. Yeah, so like, so season season one is 40 issues, 40 individual floppies they're called because they flop. Um, and they put 10 episodes per um, library edition, and I missed out. Again, like, they're 25 bucks. They were 25 right. bucks when they came out as a library edition. And they're they're meant mm-hmm. for the purpose of going to the library. So now my now I want to read them because I do enjoy the story. And it's years have gone by. There's constantly novels coming out about it that build on this universe, and it is a passionate fan base, as you so can tell in my voice. Could <laughs> could you find online? And this goes back to what we were talking about accessible for for a low vision or blind person. Have you ever looked just for? And again, again, forgive my 
not ever picking up or being able, I've picked up comics, but not really been able to see anything that well in them when I was a kid. So is it possible that someone's written out comic by comic what, uh, online where you could at least read what would go with? I know the, it doesn't make sense without the caption, the picture, and everything like that. The illustration, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. So that one who wanted to protect their collection, keep it in the plastic, could do so? So somebody has, with the Buffy series, with some other series, uploaded it to a website. There's a lot of ads on this website. Right. But I was looking, I was running it through some accessibility, and because the way it's scanned and the way comics are done, yes, it's not finding the print, the, right. the text. Yeah. So I was trying to see if it was accessible because, I mean, I would love to share my love for this show with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's a... It was a great show. It was it was a great show. And I, I know, again, oh, I could... My late probably... mother would be right there as much as she'd be mm-hmm. hanging out with Rumya to, with this Harry Potter stuff. My my late mother was just as much with Buffy. I, I mean, I mean, oh, home I at night, that. like you did not, she did not miss. Fil- if, if there was, a, if she had to record it, she would. But otherwise, she'd record it and watch it. Oh, I love your mother so much right now. Oh, yeah. That was uh, one of her absolute, anything like that. She was an absolute huge fan. And it's one of these things that are still growing, right? Like the fan base for Buffy is still growing. It's still out there. New and newer and newer fans coming on board. It's on Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus. And it's one of those shows that shows up. And again, there are some parts of it that don't age well because, you know, the 90s. Um, right. And there is problems with Joss Whedon, who was the creator, and at the time was thought to be a great feminist writing this strong female character. And it turned out that he, that may have been a bit of an act, let's just say nicely, because I don't want to get into a lot of it there, because it, it's hard for me sometimes to separate the art from the artist. Sure. Um, but it's on Disney+. Plus. Do I put it on sometimes as my go-to-sleep show and leave it running in the background? Yep. Yes. Does it, do I dream about it when I do that? Yep. It infiltrates my dreams. Um, but it, it is just something that I found comfort. It started when I was 27. I have found comfort and solace in it. It's There's something about, especially over the years, There's this, I've been reading theories about this. People who may have been a little anxious during the pandemic go back to shows that they've watched over and over again because you know Nostalgia. what's going to happen. It, yeah. And there's a surprise. It's like the Hallmark movies. You know, nobody's ever going to get hurt. Everything's going to work mm-hmm. out at the end. There's it's just comfort and and sort of that. So I mean, it's it's and and you guys are so kind to indulge me in talking about this. But it was fortuitous because like comic book day was Saturday, and I just I spent know, a right? lot more money than I really wanted to on free comic book day. <laughs> so Karen, when you started collecting though, or as you went through the you know season eight, start collecting comics, this big thing, were there other people doing it with you? Like, did you have a whole group of people doing it that? Because now you can find the community of collectors everywhere, all over the place, but. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. I, there wasn't online communities back then like like even in the early 2000s like now like there's a, I, there's an online community like I have Twitter friends who are Buffy fans and and it's the online community wasn't there and I didn't have a lot of people who watched Buffy at the time I introduced a lot of people to it who grew to love it um it was sort of became my little mantra that you know you gotta watch you gotta watch Buffy it's really good and people would roll their eyes and they'd watch it and go yeah this is really good um, mm-hmm. season one, mm-hmm. season one, if you can get through season one, the rest are great. Um, the, I was kind of felt alone and I was also older in like comic book stores where it's like full of teenage boys and I didn't really fit in the demographic of somebody who bought comics. So it was something I kept pretty quiet. 
Right. Well, I, I thought that because even now collection. you sort of mm. like it's like it, because you get so hyper aware of, as you put it earlier, the geekiness that we have. And we all um, I don't care what anybody says. There's all something we, we have that oh, we're yeah. oh I don't know. It's it's your that private pleasure, if you want to say, of something like you said, go to sleep listening to it and enjoying it. And and. I, I I sit here and think I don't recall Mum ever talking about comic books, and then of course I get a chuckle imagining my mother fighting in there over a Buffy comic book to get at it and knocking people aside. You know I'm gonna get that because again it's that fandom, and my, you know you don't care if someone comes <laughs> watching your little cartoon. Hey, get out of here! It's your thing. Yeah. Would yeah, you? Yeah, it's something I enjoy. Would you pass it on to anybody? You know, is there someone you know? Like, okay, let's say who is the type of person that if you decided I have two sets, I only need one. I'm ready to move on. And, you know, is there a kind of person you'd go online and search for just another person on Twitter, a collector or someone you want to introduce it to? So my, my niece has watched it and she doesn't, she's enjoyed it. Um, she's four, she's 13. So she's watched the series, but my nephew and I have a lot of the same nerdy things. Like when he found out about the star Wars hotel at Disney, I didn't tell him because I didn't want him to, his mom to say, why did you tell him about that? But like, he got all excited. Like, Aunt Karen, look at this. We got to go. So we kind of have that same. So it would, it would, it would be, um, it would be my Jack. And he is uh, math in my head. He's 11. And we share a lot of the same passion for video games. I don't think I've talked about this one thing, but next time I'm asking about my video game collection and video console, game console collection, um, we share a passion for video games. And all that sort of Star Wars nerdy stuff. He hasn't watched Buffy yet. He probably will soon because he's. It, it, there's some parts in it that are inappropriate um, for people of a certain age. Um, but yeah, probably he's going to be the one who's most excited when he realizes I have all these comics. And boy, he's going to wash his hands, his boy grubby hands, before he walk before he touches them. <laughs> It's true, though. <laughs> if you're a collector, you know better. I know people who collect at, at all sorts of different yeah. comics, and, you know, it's serious business. That And they love their Saturday. I'm going down to get my comics in order. What do you mean? You go down every week to do that. Who in the middle of the mm-hmm. week comes in and messes them up? Never mind. That's not what I mean. I know. I wish they'd put them in alphabetical order. The store that I go to in Cornwall does not put all the loose ones, like all the oh, all the older yes, ones, no. alphabetical order. So I've got to go through them, which means I find a lot more ones that I like. And the guy kind of laughs at me. I'm like, can you please alphabetize this? He's like, no, because it makes you look. Uh-huh. And, and how, about, how about, before we go very quickly, condition of them? Like, if you find one that you want that's a bit damaged, are they good at uh, dickering with you? Very quickly. I will pay their business. I will pay what they ask. Um, and they price accordingly the store I go to. So okay. they're a business. I want to make sure I support these businesses so they're there. Nice. Karen McGee talking to us as we uh, were into the archives, folks, playing a collections segment that we had, conversation with her, and that was uh, on May 10th. In case you want to go back and find that via the podcast feed, you can do so. And, of course, that's May 10th, 2022. Karen McGee talking about her Buffy the Vampire Slayer collection, comic book collection. So really interesting stuff there. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Rummy and I will take a break. We'll return, talk a little bit about today's show, and give you a preview of what we've got on tap for you tomorrow here on Kelly and Company.
Remember to check out our podcast. You can do that by simply subscribing to Kelly and Company. Other great programs available to you through AMI-audio podcast. We always, of course, cite The Buzz with Bill. He'll be back on the program tomorrow for us. Uh, but you can check out The Best of the Buzz, which dropped last weekend, the most recent edition of it, which is a compilation of the conversations we have with Bill right here on Kelly & Company. So search that when you're looking through AMI-audio podcasts. There's so many and so much to look forward to. Also, folks, our show, you can listen to it in segment form. You can listen to the complete Kelly & Company podcast experience. We throw an audio vanity card also on the end of that, the full show. And you can check that out. We do that daily as we update that and uh, update the podcast. With that being said, Ramya, any particular segment jumps out at you today, you want to remind people, hey, when you're podcast listening, check this one out. Relive it. Mm-hmm. St. John's News and upcoming events with community reporter Kim Thistle. Uh, lots and lots of holiday exploration and fun to be had and causes to support. She talked about two parades, like Santa Claus parades going on and some other initiatives happening, pictures with Santa. Uh, But all of these had some lovely underlying uh, initiatives that you can take part in, right? Whether it be a financial donation or just showing up um, and or, you know, uh, having non-perishable donations, just all kinds of support because I'll go back to the point that I made during the segment. It is a lovely, wonderful time of year for many of us, but not the greatest time for all of us. The holidays can be really rough. Um, and we know it because the last couple of years, many of us have been struggling anyway. Um, so let's let's do what our what we can and do our part to help. People trying to get back what was prior to the pandemic. And that's not, you know, like, let's be fair, folks. We've always had people struggling. It is a, a potentially for some people, very lonely time of year. Uh, and so many people just trying even to get back to that, uh, some some form of normalcy. So interesting topic there. And uh, would also like to comment that, you know, as we look back at, at Christmas parades, uh, particularly, that accessible thing, if you're in a community, and a lot of very small communities have one. I don't care if it's a 20-minute one that goes by. It's something to get the young people so into it, so into the season, because it is sometimes a struggle. I particularly remember as a kid how much, as we were talking earlier about the retro stuff with roller skating, and I know a lot of time we go back to that, Rumya, our, our youth and things that we remember. And we'll always say, oh, I hate when things stay the same. Change is good, but yet we, we fight it sometimes. And, oh, well, I remember back when the Christmas parades were in the morning, and I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved it better than I do at night. Again, I could see more. Probably then I would have appreciated the lights more at nighttime um, if, if they were at night. But I always loved that. Get up, get downtown, the whole business of it. Once the parade finished and Santa went through, then you could walk into the malls. They were all of a sudden decorated, ready to go, and there was Santa in his chair. Uh, for me, that's one of the things whenever anyone brings up Santa Claus parades, I think of. Yeah, I know. It's uh, talking to Kim today, talking about the roller skating, talking about all these different things, um, just kind of reminds us that, you know, time is um, coming and going. And there's a lot of different things that we can take part in now that may have already been a thing in the past. And like I said, with the roller skating, I, I haven't necessarily tried it. So it's not a nostalgic thing for me, but it's more of a curiosity. In roller derby, the one thing to remember from the 70s, some of the wild names. You want something to play around with? Go on YouTube and uh, look those up, folks. Some creative, I guess, names there. Thanks a lot, folks. Uh, Rum, thank you. We'll catch you tomorrow. Sounds good. On the program tomorrow, (laughs) 
a researcher, is aiming to uh, boost mental health supports for farmers in Alberta. Our friend Jim Crisco, he'll be here and bring us up to speed on this fantastic initiative. Read a little bit about it a while back and just tremendous stuff going on there and so needed. We'll have that Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton, as I mentioned earlier, as he rejoins the program. Also, November 14th is recognized as World Diabetes Day by Health Canada and registered nurse Leslie Depoe will be answering our questions tomorrow about diabetes. We flip through some quirky stories from around the world on What in the World with Grant Hardy and he'll stick around tomorrow as he shares the latest health headlines tomorrow on the program. Talk to you starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, folks. I'm waving at you. Big thanks to Daniel Panamondo as well, teching the show. Good evening, all. Grant Hardy and I were talking the other day about what it was like when we first started to do television. You know, kind of you stop and think, wow, it's like 11 years ago we were dabbling. Uh, and it looked very differently then of what the content AMI-TV was putting out. But for our positions at that time, we were really just show up and present. Now, again, we had to do a lot more involvement because the teams were smaller. Uh, we worked with one other person to go out and shoot stuff. Uh, I was full-time doing TV stuff where Grant was called upon to do on demand when they needed him. And the research was all done and he'd go in as, as a, well, I want to call him reporter, but presenter at the time. I think we were still called reporters at that time, though. At that point, they did. Then we became presenters and then back to reporters as more of a producer role was included for, for those who were doing TV. I, I was out of there at that point, I believe, um, if my memory serves me. But in the earliest days, it was really uncharted country for us. Uh, it was a desire of our president, CEO, David Arrington, to have these crews out there. And we went out in the field and it was so new, so interesting. Now, a lot of nerve wracking because you kind of were, I don't want to say you weren't mailing it in, but you were flying by the seat of your pants because you weren't really necessarily sure how over the top to be as a reporter, how to necessarily do it. Uh, you knew, smile on TV and try to deliver your, your lines, your intro, your extra, in, in, ask your questions cleanly. And that's what you really were going for. How long were the pieces, folks, at that time? Longer than they were on ATW in the last few seasons. <laughs> Most of that stuff back then was filler at the end of TV shows on AMI-TV. So sometimes you had to do a piece that was two minutes, four minutes, seven minutes. I did a tremendous baseball one that I loved. It was talking about the grips. And, of course, I like the sports ones. I remember doing this one, and it was really cool because we were getting walkthrough by Pat Henkin on how to grip a baseball. A lot of fun. Those are some of the moments we were sharing yesterday of back in those original early days of AMI-TV. You know, back in the days with content that we were doing that we hope never sees the light of day again. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.